needs to be more hands-on and more learning when you fail opposed to just giving a test and you're supposed to memorize. There's only one answer. Just as you know, in the real life, there's, there's not just one answer. In the real life, you get tested and that's how you learn when you fail. But in school, the whole format's different. Welcome to the Business of Doing Business. I'm your host, Dwayne Carrigan. With 35 years in business and close to 30 ventures across 12 industries, I've seen a lot. Amid the celebrity allure of entrepreneurship, many exceptional entrepreneurs remain shadowed. Here, I team up with these hidden talents to unveil their challenges and successes. Dive in with me to unearth entrepreneurial gems, learn from our experiences, and get educated. Charlie Kerrigan, welcome to the podcast. I uh, appreciate you being here. Just to uh, let the audience know, for full disclosure, you are, you're my second cousin. And that's not the reason why you're on the podcast. Your reason why you're on the podcast is because you're 17 years old. When you were 14 years old, you started cutting grass as a, was it a, just like a part-time job in the summer? Is that what it was? Yeah, just knocking on doors to make a few dollars and kind of took off. Right. And then you continue to knock on enough doors and do enough things within three years. At 17 years old, you have built your business to $850,000 in annual revenue. You've got nine full-time employees. You now don't do, I don't think, a lot of grass cutting. You do landscape design, construction work. Just graduated high school working on your business now. In a nutshell, have I yeah. pretty much banged that out? Yeah, that's a perfect summary. So look, I, I mean, what's wild in, in my eyes, and, and we're second cousins, I've I probably seen you two or three times in the last three years. Uh, we, we don't get to connect often, busy lives. Obviously, you've had a very busy life, but you built a business that is just you know a smidge under a million dollars in revenue, which not a lot of people do. I mean, that is unbelievably difficult. I have a really, really good friend uh, named Mark Bradley who has been in this business forever. And he actually owns a software company in your industry. And I reached out to him previous to this uh, podcast to say, hey, like, how significant is a million dollar business in this industry? Told, he sent me some stats. So there are 40,000 new landscape companies open every year which that number blew me away. And then of those 40,000, only 10% last four years. And of those 10%, uh, not even half of them ever get to a million dollars in revenue. I mean, you're in the top 40 percentile in existing businesses, but when you look at the grand scheme of all the landscape businesses that have ever opened their doors and closed their doors, you're probably in the top one percentile of business starts in the landscape industry that have ever gotten to a million dollars in revenue. So at 17 years old, that is unbelievable. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, man. Like it's, it's really, it's really cool to have you here. Awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me out here and I look forward to it. So, you know, there's burning questions in my mind that I have for you. I think anybody who's built a million dollar business in revenue is, you know, I take my hat off to them. 
because the survival rate of business operators and owners is pretty low. And it's, you know, it's a pretty gladiator sport in a lot of perspectives. For you to go from, you know, zero to knocking on doors, cutting grass uh, in the summertime to building a million dollar business in three years. Can you tell me kind of like, it seems a little daunting for anybody. Forget about a 17, 14 or at the time 14, but now 17 year old guy. Yes, I guess I, I just became obsessed with getting better and taking things to the next level, setting goals in place and putting in place where I wanted to be in, in certain timeframes um, and just learning as much as possible from um, mentors and guys in the industry is, is really how, how I just kept growing and, and getting better. And we still are. We're nowhere close to where we need to be. Okay, so let's go to the very beginning of that. So at 14, you want to, I get you, the one thing that you said there was, well, I was, I'm obsessed about getting better. The word obsessed, what is, what's that mean to you? And, and at 14, would you say you were obsessed at 14? No, no. I would say it was, it was just to keep me busy throughout the summer. I didn't want to work for someone until COVID happened. 2020 was really when things started to get serious. Uh, social media's got deleted. And I had lots of uh, free time, not free time, but I dedicated my time to working, making money. And that's just what, what consumed me. And money was really what was driving me at first. After that is when I started to, to figure out really my purpose and learn why I wanted to do it. Um, so 2020, 2021 is when it really got serious. And so but when you, you say like, when you said obsessed, you're like, I got obsessed with getting better. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a pretty strong statement. I'm curious if you can kind of flush out what obsessed means to you. Putting all 100% of your time into something to be the best in that industry. You have 24 hours every day and optimizing all your time. Like you look at Tom Brady or, or someone who's pro in, in a sport, you turn pro in your business and in your industry. That's what it would mean to me. So you're 15. 2020, when COVID hit, you're probably, well, I think you're 15. 15, 16. Yeah. Yeah. 15, I think so. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's pretty young to be obsessed. It's pretty, I get kids wanting to be obsessed about baseball, football. Those are pretty easy obsessions at 15. You've got icons and sports and social media that are presenting themselves every day and sport is fun. You know, you're with your buddies, you're doing your thing, you're hanging out. There's a lot of social support behind that. There's popularity in school being, the, you know, the, the quarterback or the basketball player or whatever. But business is tends not to be like that. It tends to be actually opposite. It's lonely. It's you're in a place where nobody else is at. Probably nobody else in your school is doing what you were doing at 15, getting obsessed about growing their business. What was the driving force behind it? So 2020 started off, the school was out. We weren't doing any schoolwork anymore. I stopped talking to a lot of people. What really was the driving force was was money, saving up for that. And then my first truck or my first the snowmobile was one of the things as well. And that first season, I, I was like, okay, like I need to make this much money. What am I going to do to get there? And just put as, as many resources out and just got as good as I can to, to get to the goal. But really what started the next year was more the business aspect, how I can grow it. And I can only get so much done myself and a few other guys. So that the, the next season was really when that switch flipped, I guess. Where you what started to leverage the use of hiring people to get done what you needed done, or 
Yeah, yeah. And planning out what my next steps were to grow opposed to just knocking on doors, cutting lawns. And one of my struggles was I would set a goal and I would get there. And then I was like, then what? Or almost felt like I, I would have made it almost. And then I would get in, into a low or, or not as productive, not getting as much done. And there's, I kind of had those cycles. I found out that I couldn't keep chasing a goal or chasing a thing. I had to figure out how to be obsessed with more so the journey and find a purpose. And just you know, what, what I found was creating something that's greater than myself and just creating something that's the best. <laughs> I'm 52 years old. I just learned that like five or 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I mean, kudos to you. It's impressive. Like it's so impressive, Charlie, that, you know, that you would have that distinction about loving the process versus chasing a goal. I've had this conversation with many people. It's not, you know, the attainment of a goal. It's who you become in the pursuit of that goal. And obviously in the pursuit of your goals, somewhere along the line, you kind of flipped the switch and went, you know what? I got to, I got to fall in love with the process. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? Was that, do you have mentors? Do you, was this a, from one of your parents? Was it from like, where did, where did it all come from? Enough lows and awful times when I was in a slump or whatever. And I got to a point where I was sick of it and had enough. And there's 2020, I worked to get to those goals, that truck, that stone bill, whatever it was. And then I was like, then what? And then the next season, I found myself just looking forward to escaping reality 2021, hanging around the wrong people, 2021, 2022, around the wrong people, looking forward to the weekends or Fridays and there was enough highs and the highs were great and the lows were were not so great. And this, to answer your question, what switch flipped was where I wanted to go and I became obsessed with getting better, to, to answer your question. Just anything and everything to get better, all 24 hours to get better, the right people in place, surrounding myself around people to learn. And that's what I would do in my free time opposed to hanging out with, with other people who look forward to, to drinking and that sort of thing. When the switch flipped, that's what had changed. And not for the next truck, the next piece of equipment, but the just just getting better is, is really what, what became important. Mm -hmm. I mean, you learned that lesson fairly quickly. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, I mean, there's, I mean, I can tell you from my own personal experience, it probably took me possibly 15, 20 years to learn that lesson, which having you in front of me now, I'm a bit ashamed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but I'm unbelievably proud of you to, to try to figure that out. So you said, you know, the highs were great and the lows were low. Yeah, being stuck in a rat race was what I got fed up with. So what does that mean for you? The same thing every week, repeating it. You feel like shit Sunday because you were out Friday night, Saturday, doing whatever. You're not productive Monday. You're recovering, you're sleeping from weekend then Tuesday you might get some stuff done and can't wait for Friday again that just keeps happening keeps happening and you're not getting better you're just struggling to get by I mean as you're saying that I'm I have a list of names of people I know friends of mine in their 40s 50s and 60s that do exactly what you just said like identical to what you just said what makes you different because they're still doing it in their 50s and 60s. And at 17 years old, you've created a distinction for yourself that, hey, this isn't what I want. So what is 
what is driving that? What's propelling you to kind of make the realization like, holy shit, like I'm not, I'm kind of spinning my wheels here. I don't want to put the word in your mouth, but that's what it sounds like to me. Nothing was changing and nothing was getting better. It was kind of just a, a constant with business, with numbers, with also me and, and just, I guess it was chasing pleasure, I guess you could say. And then, yeah, pleasure and that next goal, I guess. So once I've kind of learned how to just love eating shit, love the journey, and it feels so much better too when you're doing it. Just what's the next thing? Keep going and optimizing all the time you get, which is the 24 hours a day. So I'm curious, when you made this distinction, what changed in your business? What changed in your life? And how fast did you see the changes occur? So I started analyzing things like every week on what works and what doesn't, whether it's going to bed earlier, going to the gym in the morning, post the night, and stuff like that, writing everything down. And then eventually I just had a log of stuff I could look back to and just implementing it the next week, what worked, what didn't almost having like a science experiment that helped get on the right track and just being able to pinpoint what the pain points were and then work on those and get better and just keep doing that and keep doing that is what was big. Not going to lie. I'm a little bit in awe of, you know, some of the things that you're saying here because they're a spot on. I mean, they're, this is what people travel to spend time with Tony Robbins or, you know, back in the day, Stephen Covey or, Deepak Chopra. I mean, there's a list that goes on and on and on. You know, any motivational speaker, any any you know peak performance specialist that's out on the market today. This is, I mean, they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars to get these distinctions. And at 17, you've seemed to have been able to formulate this. I'm just going to kind of sum up 14 to 15, basically beginning of COVID. You've kind of you're out cutting grass. You've got a you know just part time job basically in the summertime. Then COVID hits, well, you gain time. You know, you lose a whole bunch of other things and you gain a whole bunch of time and go, okay, well, what am I going to do with my time? And you decide to direct your energy into putting it into your business. Where, might I point out, most teenagers are online, chatting with their friends, watching Amazon Prime or whatever is on TV, Netflix, et cetera. Uh, but you decide to kind of ramp up your business and then you build your business to a certain point that you were kind of happy with. And then you start. And then plateaued and it just, it wasn't good for that. That was last season. So 2022, I was almost satisfied or comfortable. And then I really opened my eyes last, last fall. Yeah. Fall, winter type thing of 2022. Was it a growth thing or was it all growth happens outside your comfort zone? So it sounds to me like you said, things got comfortable. So you stopped growing. Like on the other side of fear is all growth. So what did you have to, you know, overcome in yourself in order to find that kind of mission to grow your business? A purpose was what I had to find and what I didn't have before business is going to last. I'm not going to last. So last name is going to last. And just building those things, building empires that are going to live on uh, between businesses or last names and a reputation as well, uh, bigger than just me. So is that your goal? Your goal is to build an empire down the road? Yeah. And something that is there to live on past me, greater than me. 
if you had a vision for the next five or 10 years, where, where would you, where would you like it to be? Five to 10 years doing lots and lots of like backyard living spaces, uh, and elevating the business and growing, but also getting really into real estate and investing in other, um, organizations. Like other businesses then? Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so from a practicality standpoint, because I think you've, I mean, there's a lot of lessons that can be drawn from this. I think people right now so far, you know, we're like 18 minutes into this conversation and some people are going to be like, I think the two things that pop into my head is like, you know, WTF, like what the heck did this kid do here? Like, I mean, you literally have accomplished some lessons in life that most people don't accomplish a ever in their life, but B, it takes them years, uh, decades sometimes. And then I think there's other people sitting there going, how do I get my kid to do this? <laughs> like, what was the motivation in the beginning for you to like, A, go out there and, hey, I don't want to work for myself. Like, was family a motivating factor? Was it you saw somebody on TV? Like, are you emulating somebody? Is there a role model? Is there a mentor? What, what have you, what did you kind of surround yourself with as a visual? And so from the start, like I mentioned, it was more so like trucks or things that motivated me and that's what got the ball rolling. But later on, I, I realized that I wanted to optimize my potential. Everyone is so soft and the bar is set so low and it's scary that that's what's normalized. That scared me. And then once I figured out the whole plateau thing, just comfort scared me as well and being comfortable with where I was at. I love that statement. Uh, every, I think I'm going to, I think I got it. Everything is so soft and the bar is set so low. It's a great statement. Like kudos to you for recognizing that. Where do you see the distinction for, I'll use the word youth, to be able to kind of recognize that the bar may be set too low, that we are a little bit soft on each other or, or ourselves or, and, and maybe, you know, soft in one, some ways and hard in, in the areas where we don't need to be hard on ourselves. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think it's, um, it's good insight from, you know, somebody who A, is accomplished at your age and, and has some insight of growing a business and working for what they have. And yeah, so I think it starts with who you're surrounding yourself with. So a huge part of that youth is their parents and their family, obviously. And I think that's the root problem. Number one, that, but also the other spoiled kids to hang around with. I think that's really the, the biggest issue. And then our school system is a whole other thing to talk about. But. <laughs> if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's surrounding yourself by the right people is really what it is. And in school, you're getting taught by these teachers. And that's not really who most people would like to be like. You look at the teacher's parking lot and you know, civics or Corollas. Or I want to be taught by a mentor and who's been put through real life experiences, not a business teacher who just went to, to business teaching school. I want someone like yourself who's been, been ran through it and has ate shit to get, get somewhere. Just to stay on the education side there for, for a second is obviously there, you have some issues with the education kind of format, the way it's laid out for say somebody like you and, and everybody is different, right? Everybody wants different things. If you want to be a doctor and you need to take sciences and you need to stay in school and you need to focus on your grades and work real hard and 
get the best grades you can so you can go to the best school and all that kind of stuff. But for an entrepreneurial young guy or girl, would you say the format of, edu- of formal education, you struggled with it or what, what was it for you? I think I struggled with getting the most out of it and haven't yet been able to relate a lot of my time spent there into the real world. I think it needs to be more hands-on and more learning when you fail opposed to just giving a test and you're supposed to memorize. There's only one answer. Just, you know, in the real life, there's, there's not just one answer. In the real life, you get tested and that's how you learn when you fail. But in school, the whole format's different. You know, so I'm interested in flushing out a little bit. You know, so for you, it's the difficulty is like, hey, I struggle. In the real world, there's more than one answer to every problem. In school, they're teaching you that there is only one correct answer and you're judged based on whether you get the right answer or you don't get the right answer. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. not telling, I'm, I'm asking. And to get the right answer, you need to memorize or study more or do, do whatever to get that answer. But it's the, in the real world, you can't, you can't study more. You have to think on your feet. And in, in school, you don't think on your feet or problem solve to an extent. You're more so expected to be, everyone's in that same lane. Right. So here's, here's what you need to study. Here's what we're learning. Here's what you should memorize for the test in order to get a good grade and to be accepted, acknowledged as a good student. Yes. And then you can move forward to the next grade and do the same thing over and over again. Whereas in the real world, you're suggesting that, hey, you know, this is a little bit more collaborative. You need to, we talk a lot in this podcast about relationships, about being able to build relationships. Um, Some of our past guests have been, you know, really focused on, you know, building those relationships. So is that what I'm yeah, getting exactly. from you? You had advice for students out there, young people who have the same difficulty with school. What would your advice be? What would your recommendations be? What would your thoughts be in terms of, of and not even just for students, but for their parents? You know, I think that, you know, obviously our demographic listening listeners to this podcast, I don't think there's any there's no question, there's no doubt that most parents out there live in a realm of, at some point in time in their parenting life, of grave concern of how their kids are going to turn out or what's going to happen with them. Are they going to be safe? Are they going to have a better life than we had? That right now is, a, is, a, is hard to see. You know, we probably in the last 60, 70 years, this may be the first time where we can look and say, potentially our kids may not have a better life than we have with inflation. And and I'm not saying that's true. Uh, I'm just saying that many people could look at it that way. What advice would you have for students or their parents, you know, to help guide their kids that aren't the perfect students in school to, to guide them through and get them through this kind of area and time of their life? Parents are giving their kids way too much and being able to instill some of those real life lessons on the side like school is important and for kids to get through that parents need to do their thing there but outside of school instilling real life lessons uh opposed to i guess spoiling could be a word so they have that skill set as well um and so they can be well versed although that we are related i don't know how you were raised i, re- I actually 
don't have a clue. But were you raised in a in an environment where your parents were you know strict on you outside of school? Did they push you? Were they the ones that pushed you to go out and you know, if you can't find a job at fourteen, go cut grass or do something? Like, where what was your background? My mother was always supportive of what I did in terms of the grass cutting, but it was up to me to do my own thing, whether it was sports or work or whatnot. So they were pretty, um, I guess, chillaxed. Um, and I think that's why I'm around that all day and see that that's not a formula that would work and see all the other kids that are in those households, uh, how they've turned out. And that's why that I think it needs to change and putting them in different situations that are able to teach them real life lessons. So it's an interesting thought is like, as you were just saying that, what I heard earlier was that much of your motivation for the business or to go out and have a job was to have stuff. As my mentor used to call it, things and stuff. Whether it's a car, whether it's for you, a snowmobile, I know how much you love snowmobiling. That is when we've ever seen each other. That's when I've seen you is out on the snowmobile trail because we snowmobile a lot. But your your main motivation in the beginning was to have some the stuff that you wanted to have. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious whether or not, you know, parents who are kind of part of our society is like, well, you don't need stuff, you don't need things, you know, you just need to be yourself, you need to be a better person, or, or you just need to be the person that you, you are. And you're, you're, you're perfect the way you are and all that kind of stuff. And, and there is, I'm, I'm not being derogatory to that thinking, because I think there is a lot of value there to understand that, you know, we, we are, we are perfect the way we are. And I shouldn't say the word perfect. In general, good people, we are this perfect form of who we are, but there is a upside that you can continue to push yourself towards. But being motivated by material things is really what drove your ambition to go out and start your own business. At first, and you're bang on. That's what my parents told me my whole life is you don't need all this shit. And that's why I wanted it. Uh, so that's what started it, to get the ball rolling. But yeah, that's, that's really what, what sparked it, I guess. I, I didn't need all this stuff, but I wanted it. Right. So then as a young teenager, was it part, partly, was it because when you're, you're, your parents are saying, well, you don't need this stuff. It's like, oh, if I don't need it, I want it more. Like, because you say I shouldn't have it, I'm going to want it more. Was there a bit of a pushback from that perspective? Yeah, thinking back to probably my 14 year old self, that would have been pretty accurate. I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we talk about as parents. It's like if if you know if you if you tell your kid they don't they they don't need this, they don't need that, or they shouldn't have that, or they shouldn't have this, they want it more. So be careful as a parent. With- but yeah, that's I guess that's what started it. To your point, but once I realized material things is not what needs to keep you going. Let's talk about your existing business. Where's it at and where do you struggle? Yeah, so a few pain points systemizing. I want my guys to be putting all their energy into doing their amazing work, not working in a failed system that is allows room for forgetting a gas can, or forgetting shovel, or that's all man hours wasted. Uh, so putting systems in place that people, that vegetables could run through to be able to use any and all brain power on site doing and delivering the best service possible. That's our biggest pain point. Right. And so what are you doing in order to, to, to get, get through that? Yeah. So the guys make notes throughout every day and every morning we meet and shout at our yard and how we can improve or what needs to change or be implemented 
uh, moving forward to help uh, with that pain point, I guess, whether it's checklist or any system that we can put in place and playing with what works and what doesn't. With process and trying to improve process inside your business, beyond just kind of meeting with the guys and kind of focusing on that, you say you have this pain point, but has it really what you're currently doing improving your pain point or is it like, are you seeing progress in it? And is it dramatic enough to shift whatever is causing you the pain or the problem that you feel you have? And I'm sure you see it all the time. This is a bit off track your question, but contractors are great at plumbing or great at doing electrical, but they don't know how to run their business. So they're all over the place for getting things. They're a mess. So seeing that from other people and not wanting to be like that has been a huge uh, driver. And what we have been implementing has been working. And one example would be loading up stuff the night before. Half of the tools are already in the truck. Post unloading them in the night, the next morning loading half of what you already had in there again. And people want to go home, so they're going to get it done in half the time as well. Things like that has been has been good and cutting down on man hours. There's so many wasted man hours I see all the time, whether it's people hanging out at gas stations or three lunch breaks throughout the day. And this is just for relatable to contractors. But there's so much waste and that's what honing in on systems. That's why it's important for me. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I have to imagine in your business, man hours is probably one of your largest expenses. I mean, potentially debt on equipment might be another one, but man hours has got to be huge. Do you know what your percentage is that you are currently spending on labor? I don't know an exact percent. I think the last time I checked, it was 30 or 40. So it's up there. So earlier, I was told you I was texting my friend, Mark Bradley, who is... I would somewhat say he's probably a bit of a legend in your business. Yeah. Um, you know who he is? Very well. I mean, he's a super successful guy, dear friend, probably one of the, he's one of the smartest guys I know. And not just intelligence from an intelligence perspective, but his EQ intelligence is off the chart. He has developed quite a business. I sent him a text uh, about your business. Here was his response. Wow, that's super cool. I told him how big your business is, what you've been doing. If he's not using our software, I'd like to give him some of it for free uh, and include him in my Landscape Mastermind program for free and have him on our podcast and give him free tickets to our annual Mastermind Summit in Florida in February. Wow. Uh, this is around a 20K value. If you want to uh, let him know on the podcast, that's available for him if he wants it. That's awesome. So, I mean, I want to thank Mark and his company, LMN, who does landscape uh, software for running your business. I mean, he had perfected that while he owned his own company. And, you know, this is kind of the systems and the tools of what he has created that helps somebody like you optimize their business and also compare it more importantly to you know, your competitors or like-minded people in your industry. So if you're interested in that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And Mark, that's very, very nice of you. Thank you very much. And Dwayne, I appreciate it. Well, I mean, don't thank me because it was Mark. Like I didn't ask him for anything. I just said I was looking for some insight on your industry and to see actually how, like I said earlier in the podcast, like how well you've done and you know, how proud you should be of what you've accomplished. But he's the one that, you know, instantly just spat that back. And he's an extremely generous man. He's very kind. Uh, so 
Mark, thank you for that. You know, here's a question as I, as I, you know, announce that, what kind of mentorship in your industry are you currently involved in? Because I think this is a big part for anybody who owns a business. There's a lot of people uh, in your seat right now who have a business where they've grown it to a certain point, and then it gets to the level of read the book, Law of the Lid, whatever you, you did to get your business to where it is today, it's not going to be the same thing that gets your business to the next level. Whether it's $2 million in revenue, $5 million in revenue, $10 million in revenue, you as the leader need to become a different person in order to grow your business in a different way. To your point earlier about just because you're a great plumber doesn't mean you can run and own a, an amazing plumbing business. Do you currently have mentors in the industry that you're relying on and, and how have you used them to grow in the past? Yeah, there's a few mentors I, I look to with questions and they've helped me from the start who have pretty big businesses. And I just looked around and saw who I wanted to be with and then started talking to them or I would take them to lunch or that sort of thing and just talk to anyone and meet anyone for a coffee or just to pick their brain and, and just like taking little things from, from every single guy in the industry and using their years of knowledge and implementing it um, into our systems has been definitely, definitely big. Yeah. In our business, we have a, a saying we talk about when we're facing a problem. I mean, really, a problem is just, you know, the space between where you are and where you want to be. I mean, that's all a problem is in business. You know, I'm here, I want to be there. And in between that gap is the problem. Um, and oftentimes people focus on the problem that is versus the problem that isn't. And that's what we need to solve. We need to solve, you know, for the problem that is versus the problem that isn't. And we, we focus on, sorry, the thing, the thing that isn't really the problem. It's the symptom, you know, for, and I'll give you an example. Like I want to be more profitable. People identify like, okay, I've got my sales to where they, where they want to be, but I want to be more profitable as a business. And they think profit is their problem. But what they don't think about, you know, that's just the symptom. But what the cause of this, that, that is, is bad scheduling bad accountability, bad, not having the right systems in place to what you kind of had alluded to on labor or food costs or supply costs or cost of goods sold in, in, in a manufacturing business. So do you think your main problem right now is that you have lack of systems? Because it sounds to me like you're trying to improve those and doing a pretty good job at it. That's what needs to be in place to get to the next step. And I've always looked up to, to Mark as well was what he'd done with systems is absolutely crazy, but also other bigger guys in the industry. And that's the only way they're scaling is more systems and like, I guess, delegating more. And that's the next step to delegating is having the systems in place so you can throw anyone into my shoes or, or my assistant's shoes or whoever's shoes and they can run it as well. And I'm assuming your business is profitable at this point? Yes. Yeah. How often are you in the field with, with the guys? I don't get a chance to ever get out there, unfortunately. I enjoy it, but I, I can't. Okay, so you're not working, you're not on the end of a shovel every day any longer? No. Good no. for you. It's not where you should be. If you want to be the business owner, you should be focusing on systems, focusing on cash flow. How do you acquire more customers? What's your growth been like over the last, what'd you grow last year? Well, 4X this year compared to last year. Really? Yes. Yes. A lot of it has been Google and we've honed in on our SEO and Google profile and like our appearance on Google. If you need landscaping, that's all you do is search it up. 
Um, and then just their presence throughout Oakville, like neighborhood groups, the trucks, lawn signs, simple stuff like that. So. And, and what did you predict it to grow in 2024? Like where would you like to be in by the end of 2024? 2024, I'd like to be at 1.5 million, 2 million. So almost 2x. Good for you. And then putting a roadmap in place to be have benchmarks and, and that's the next step, honing in on that. What's your office look like? Do you have office structure and like do you have your own office now? Or we don't have our own office yet. No, we just have a yard. We have a sea can. We keep all our equipment and then park all our trucks, trailers there. Right. And so, do, and do you have an assistant? Yes. So uh, we have someone running the office, like the phone, emails, all that stuff's taken care of. I'm usually either prospecting or dealing with current clients and selling. Okay, so you focus yourself on selling. Yes. I mean, it sounds like you're really. You've got your business kind of tied up in a nice little bow. You grew 4X last year. You want to grow 2X next year. When we look at businesses, and one thing I would just say from a psychology standpoint, from not just necessarily a business owner, but this happens in anywhere in our lives. It happens in our relationships. It happens with our kids. Is we're supposed to have problems. The biggest problem that people have is they don't think they should have problems. They think that everything should be running smoothly and effectively and efficiently, whether it's their home, whether it's their health, whether it's their business, you know, their kids. It's like, you're going to have problems. One of the questions I find helps me a lot is, is this a normal problem or an abnormal problem? You know, and so for example, in business, an abnormal problem you know, at this stage or this size of your business would be if you were still working on the end of a shovel, the size of your business, that would be an abnormal problem. If you have $50,000 in revenue and you're in the office and you're not on the end of a shovel, that's an abnormal problem. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's really the life cycle of what your business is. Are you, it's no different than a life cycle of a human. You know, are you infant stage? Are you at toddler stage? Are you at teenager stage, adult stage, midlife? And then beyond midlife becomes a overaged and then dead. Yeah. And so, you know, somewhere in that lifespan of a, of a business, you know, you have to understand and identify, Hey, where, where's my business? Sounds to me like your business is kind of like moving towards teenager stage. You know, you've kind of, you're up, you're running, or you're kind of walking, you've got some systems in place, you've got an assistant, you've got some, you've got a, a lead guy out there that's running jobs, I guess. Oh well, yeah, we have we have crew leads running each of our, our crews and taking a truck full of guys out. Yeah, right. So you got trucks, you got equipment. Hopefully, like you know, with the the increased cost of of interest and money, you know, you're managing debt loads, and and that would be one thing I'd be very careful about as you start to grow. Like, you know, growing a business in the last five years, previous to now, was a totally different kind of game. Interest was free. Uh, you know, money was free. You, you basically, you know, paid nothing for it. And now, you know, people are into a seven, eight percent, and that is not factored into their costs, and and it it's putting a squeeze on people. Which is, for some people who don't have debt, this will be an area where they'll capitalize because their competition will thin out quickly. But for those who don't have a lot of debt, you know, they'll be able to swoop in and be able to buy equipment 
less expensively because it's, you know, used, not leveraged debt, have higher growth because they can capture clients and grow their customer base. You know, I'd be very cognizant for you as a business leader to not beat yourself up too much uh, for where the problems that you have in your business if they're normal problems. Nothing can hurt a business owner quicker than how they beat themselves up for what they're currently experiencing. And I'm not saying, hey, listen, absolutely don't settle for the problem. That's not what I'm promoting. What I'm promoting is being aware that the problem you have is a normal problem and it's just something out there to be solved. It's, it's a growth problem. With growth, you'll have people problems. The faster you grow, the more you grow. You'll have problems with your next thing we'll be talking about a year from now is like, well, I doubled my revenue and therefore I, you know, I increased my staff by 30%. And now some of these guys I got leading the jobs aren't doing what I need to do. So you need to be more effectively training and you have to have another layer of system in there. You know, the systems are always going to change. You're always going to improve improving in your systems. That is just a, that's actually not a problem. It's a process. The process of improving your processes. Yeah. And with growing my, my next question to you, Dwayne, is in terms of leadership, I find you can get an amazing guy on the string trimmer or the mower and he's awesome at what he does, but you give him a team of nine guys to, to take mowing or take on a string trimmer. And he's amazing at string trimming, but he's not amazing at leading. And I've noticed that that's a whole nother skill. What are a few things that you found that's worked in terms of putting leaders within organizations? I think it's, I mean, a very key point. Good for you. Like, I mean, it's a great distinction. When you're starting to grow your business, I remember when I started a first, so a long time ago, but early on, we grew very quickly. We kind of went from... I'm going to say two and a half million in revenue to 18 million in three years. And I had that exact problem. This is the first time I've had that problem in one of our businesses. You know, it was critical for me to fill in those gaps and where I found a lot of my, where I had to, I had to fill the gap of training my leaders inside the organization. I came from the leadership personal development before that, so I had a lot of experience. So that was the, you know, the one job that I could do, which is train, train leaders. That's what I have always been pretty decent at. They answered this question in a couple of different ways, but one, you have to look at like what do you as the business owner excel at, and what can only you do. Uh, John Maxwell wrote in one of his books was, you know, focus on only the things that you can do. If someone can do something 80% as well as you can do, then you should be delegating that role to somebody else. And you should only focus on the things that you're excellent at. And so at some point in time, as you start to grow your business, you're going to have to grow your leaders. And like you said, just because you're a good plumber, it could be, you know, good on a weed trimmer or whatever, it doesn't make you a good leader. And you have to be careful who you promote. Promoting the hardest workers is not always the right answer. And that's typically what gets promoted in business. And it can go back a little bit to your comment about school is, is 
you're actually, when you think about it, kind of performing exactly what teachers teach, right? They're, hey, if you study really hard and you memorize all these things and you get really good at this, then you're going to get an A. The more A's you get, the better the education you have access to. And then, but you, so you basically get promoted. Yeah. Right. Or you're regarded in high esteem in the class or in the school because you got a super high grade. Right. And, or same as in sports in school, it's not just academics could be done in sports and it's done all over the place. And we often with error promote people who are the hardest workers. Now I'm not saying that they shouldn't be promoted, but they also have to be promoted into a role that they can excel at. And so I'd be very cautionary to um, cautionary to, you know, our executive team and our management teams that when they're promoting somebody, that they're promoting the person that actually has the right ability to be able to perform in that way. And it might not like a, a trainer is not a worker. Um, and I also think too, and I got some great advice from one of my early mentors and he said, every time you promote somebody into a position, a higher position, they're never going to be ready to take on that position. And we often as business owners make that mistake. We think because they're harder workers or because they performed in a certain area, we'll promote them and they'll do a good job at that. I'll say, hey, you need to go train these guys. But we forget to train them to do the new job that they're asked to be doing. And, and that becomes a fault on the business owner because we don't stop and take the time or find whether we're training them themselves or we find an organization, an institute, an education platform to, to train them. And educate them on being and, a leader. And educate them on being a leader, right? How do we educate them on their communication skills? How do we educate them on their follow-up skills? How do we, do we teach them actually how to delegate? What are the positions and the pieces, the steps in order to really help people understand how to delegate? I, and I actually, I have a business encyclopedia and I will give these to you, but um, I just wrote a piece on delegation, actually. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's still on my desktop. I'm not finished it yet. But there's five steps. So I just, I literally just finished writing this. But the five steps to, to delegation, you know, to clearly define, I'm just going to really give you the subtitles here, but clearly define the task. Uh, follow up in short period of time. Make sure you have a clear process to, to manage it. By 75% of the timeline, you should have followed up two or three times and asked for progressive support, ask them if they need progressive support. And then number five, reward and praise people for doing the job, uh, a job well done. And even if it wasn't a job well done, praise them for the things that they did do well and then correct the behavior for what they didn't do well. And, and that's like real Cole's notes version of what I wrote, yeah. but those are the kind of the subtitles of delegation. We have training procedures and policies and for all of these kinds of things. And that's, and that's the kind of stuff that you can steal from your mentors or, or your role models to help you with the efficiency. And truthfully, a lot of the stuff you can find on the internet, right? Like you could Google that and probably get a million articles that'll tell you how to delegate and then sit down with a guy and say, Hey, Hey, this is, this is what I, this is the role that I need you in as a trainer. And here are some of the pieces that are important, how to delegate, how to communicate, how to follow up, 
Uh, how do we reassess? What are the checklists we're going to use on training? You know, is it safety? Is it execution? Is it efficiency? What are the key pieces that we need to train? So it's really about sitting down and kind of like formulating the stuff. And truthfully, it's all right there. You know, it's all on the internet, but you just have to get organized. That's why I asked you if you had an assistant, because an assistant is the person that should help you. Somebody who's answering the phone or doing invoicing is not necessarily an assistant. So you might want to look at either hiring an assistant or getting a virtual assistant, somebody who has experience in dealing with young entrepreneurs who can help them, you know, you finding somebody in their thirties or forties that can help you create some of these processes so that you don't have to worry about it. In your head, you probably have a vision of exactly what you want to see and it's their job to help create it for you. Yes, it does. I don't know if you want me to ask questions now or if you want me you can to ask anything you want. This is, uh, this is a bit of a different podcast that we probably haven't done before. So I'm happy to, should have told people that at the beginning that this might turn into this, but I'm happy to answer any questions. Listen, I don't have all the answers, but more importantly, I think it helps us most is it's not about having the right answer because I don't know your industry, but it's more important about helping you find the right question. Yeah, it's really about having the right questions. Being smart is not having the right answer. Being wise is having the right question. Because if you ask a quality question, you get a quality answer. I mean, fundamentally, as humans, we don't do anything without asking ourselves a question. If I feel like I have to blow my nose or drink a glass of water or or scratch my face, at first I have to say like, should I blow my nose right now? Do I need to blow my nose? Yeah, okay, I need to blow my nose. I go grab a Kleenex and I blow my nose. Everything we do, if you really think about it, comes from a question. And so the power and the wisdom is in having the right questions to ask. If you're asking empowering questions versus disempowering questions, you ask a disempowering question, you're going to get a disempowering answer. Disempowering question, what's wrong with me? If you ask the question, what's wrong with you, and many people ask that question of themselves unconsciously, they're going to come up with all the reasons of what's wrong with them. If you ask yourself a conscious question like, you know, and the shit could be hitting the fan. I mean, things may not be going well, but you ask the question, okay, some things are not going well, but what is going, what is going well? What is going right right now? What are we really doing very well at? And that's not ignoring what's going wrong, but it is acknowledging, okay, here's what we're doing right. Let's get this into perspective. Let's see the silver lining. And if we had to improve the most important thing, not the 10 things that are going wrong, but what's the most important thing that if we improve today would make the biggest difference in our business? That's a quality question, right? That's a question that presupposes that there, if there was one thing that we could do, we could transform the business or make the biggest difference in the business, that presupposition is critical. Does that make sense? It does, yes. I had a question and I, I, I assume you're pretty good at it. And it's how prioritizing your time and optimizing the amount of stuff you can get done without, like, I don't like the word burnout, but it's definitely there. And you can have amazing days and then the next day you're too gas and aren't productive and can't get anything done. How do you balance that out? Because it's so easy to go go nuts, I guess. And, and then the rest of the week, you're just gassed. I think there's a couple of things in that. 
One, there's the just the fundamental strategic ways of like, how do I prioritize my day? And I, you know, try to speak at as high level as possible. But one of the things that I start with is I plan my week in advance. So I'll take a look at my, my day timer and all the priorities that I have. So, well, so I look at my week in advance and I go, what are all the things that I need to accomplish? So I do it a little differently. Um, and I'm sure there's many other people who do it this way as well, but it's not unique to me. But I have my life split into seven or eight different identities, right? I'm a business person. I'm a husband. I'm a father. Uh, I'm a philanthropist. I'm a student. I'm an athlete. So I'll just rhyme off six of them. One of the other ones is called profit seeker. So even though I'm a businessman, so, and then inside, inside a business, so like I name them actually. So there's the chairman. So the chairman is responsible for anything that a chairman is allocating resources, making sure things are happening, making sure the numbers are in tune, making sure our strategic, you know, that we're strategically aligned with our plan and we're executing on the plan. But then inside business, there's also um, the outrageous coach. The outrageous coach is the the coach, the trainer, the leader, the the guy who comes in to inspire. So I can come into any of my businesses, and if I go in as the chairman, that guy is looking for a whole bunch of different things than the coach. The coach is looking for somebody who you know looking for the opportunity to improve, kind of someone inside the organization. The chairman is looking for like, are we getting results? You know, he's almost the guy looking at like, where are the gaps? How are we fixing the gaps? What's happening? Is our org chart being followed? Where are the gaps in the org chart? Where's the gaps in the allocation of our resources, whether it's money, people, et cetera. But I also have another guy who's called profit seeker. The profit seeker is the guy who goes out and he's looking for opportunity. He's the guy that's driving sales. He's he's the guy that's looking for the next business to buy. He's looking. He's the guy that's looking for the business to sell. He is the guy that drives profit and and opportunity inside the organization. So there's three different identities that I have for my business. And then, like I said, you know, I've got my husband identity. Uh, I've, I've got a name for that. I'm not going to share it. <laughs> um, I've got. I've got my father identity, my student identity. So when I look at my week, all those are color-coded in, in Outlook. And so I will look at my week and I'll plan my week to make sure that I am creating and allocating enough time and resources. Not, and so when I say resources, I'm, the three most important resources I have are my time, energy, and focus, not money. It is my time, my energy, my focus. Where do I put it? And so when I look at my week, I'm kind of creating all of these things. You know, am I going to make sure, do I have enough time to work out in the morning? So I wake up at usually 5 a.m., 5.30 in the morning, and I spend an hour and a half to two hours in the gym. Cold plunge, hit the gym, come back, get ready, yada, yada, yada. Try not to take, you know, I learned this from a friend of mine. I try not to take any meetings before 10 a.m. Because between my workout and my breakfast, and I have this time to just kind of, I can answer some emails. I spend 20 minutes on think time, usually four or five days out of the week, where I have one question that I think on. And then, so after, you know, I usually do it Sundays or Monday mornings, but usually Sundays, I'll plan my week in advance. So I'm looking at my entire week 
I color code it and to my identities. And so I'm just doing block time for those identities. Then every day I'm looking at my schedule and I take into consideration what's happening. What are some of the meetings? So for example, if somebody, one of the executive team members or my management team wants to meet with me, it goes into some of the blocks that I've created for the coaching identity. And there's, you know, well, I can meet you on Tuesday from one to four or Thursday morning from nine to 11 or Friday afternoon from two to five. Like those are the times when you want to meet. And those meetings get plugged in into there. We have executive team meetings. So once a week, so that's already block time for my chairman identity. So that's kind of how, how I do it. Plan the week in advance. Every morning, I review my daily calendar, review my task list, prioritize them, and make sure that everything is kind of slotted the way it needs to be slotted. That's how I've found for me the best way to do it. Now, I also use my Outlook, my email, and a task list and all that kind of stuff to manage what needs to get done. And those get sorted. You know, I use kind of the, the, the Franklin Covey system, prioritization, A, B, C, one, two, three, four, et cetera. I don't know if that answers your question. You know. Yeah, it certainly helps. And I'd assume there's sometimes um, more of certain identities some weeks than other weeks, I guess. And it just depends on what's going on, or do you make sure to evenly uh, distribute it? Well, yeah. So nothing's really evenly. Like, look, I'm 52. My kids are 18 and 21. They don't want to see me anymore. <laughs> I mean, I see them a lot less. Like that looked a whole lot different from when I was 42 and they were 10 years younger, you know, eight and 11 coaching hockey and I'm, I'm picking them up from school. You know, that's kind of stuff looks a lot different. Certain times, like, you know, it helps me in my relationship to make sure that I don't neglect, you know, what's happening with my wife and and so I can slot in date nights or you know time with her to make her feel important. I've rescheduled my day to make sure that she feels valued and appreciated and loved. So it gives me a full perspective on the week to make sure and if and so they're color coded. So green is for the kids, orange is for the uh, the coach, gray is for the athlete. So I can see I'm a visual guy. So I can see visually Hey, there's there's like no gray or there's no red. Holy smokes. I haven't scheduled any time with my wife, right? So I'll go back and I'll re-engineer the schedule to make sure that, you know, there's time slotted in. So that's what's worked for me. <laughs> Anything else? I did actually have a few written down. I'm here for you. The first podcast you did with Ken, that was awesome, by the way. <clears throat> Thank you. Comment was said was let it happen clean or what she said. So let it happen. If you tell that to any Oakville kid, let it happen. They're going to be on their ass all day. And I know you guys are extremes. A lack of better words, but the balance between uh, go, go, go. And then the next week, you're so gassed, you're not optimized. Uh, You're zoned out in meetings or brain fog or this and that. With getting the most done in those 24 hours that you have, how do you weigh those? Yeah, It's a really good question. I'll start by saying this is, I mean, and I, you're, I, I agree with you. I don't like the word balance. I think that balance is, that means that everything is weighted equally. And I, and I don't see that. 
I would maybe use the word priorities. Priorities change as you get older or as your situation changes in life. Your priorities at, you know, 18, 19. Um, I started my business when I was 16. Everything from 16 to um, mid to late 20s was pretty egocentric. I focused on myself. There was no kids, didn't have kids. So that wasn't an option. You know, there was no sense of spirituality for me at that stage. You know, I was really pretty narrow focused. It was working out, hanging out with my friends and, and, and working. And so I did have a mentor who, who his name was Dave McClurg. I really struggled, you know, where do I spend my time and how do I say no to opportunities that pop up, whether it's back then it was, you know, my buddies, girls working out, <laughs> like it was, like I said, pretty egocentric. And he, he had some really good advice. And his advice was, when you have to make a decision around allocating your time, you ask yourself, is this going to take me closer to or further away from my goals? And if the answer is further away from my goals, then you have to really seriously look at whether or not you want to spend your time there. He didn't say don't spend your time there. It wasn't a yes, no, black, white type of thing, but it was a increased level of consideration towards where you're going to place your energy and your focus. In the early days, I used to set a lot of goals. I don't set goals anymore. Why is that? Yeah. Well, to your question about what Kim said, and what was the words that she used was- Let it happen, Queen. Let it happen. And so from the make it happen to the let it happen queen, if memory serves me correct, there's a time in your life where you become excellent at executing in certain areas of your life. What was used to be a heavy lift for me, you know, like a, a massive heavy arm curl in business today, I can leverage with my pinky finger. I'm much more intuitive. I'm more relaxed. I'm less pushing towards what I want rather than pulling and or allowing it to come to me by, if you want to say, law of attraction. I believe now more than ever that the universe presents things to us. Luck occurs when preparedness meets opportunity. And sometimes, when you've had more experience to draw on, you're more prepared. You see things differently. I can look at a financial statement and it takes me, you know, 60 seconds to understand what's on the page versus 30 minutes of going line by line, trying to figure out all the little pieces about it rather than seeing it on a, from a high level. So you just more experience. It's like flying a plane. You know, the amount of fuel that you use to get to altitude is greater in relation to the distance that you travel. But when you get to cruise altitude, you can pull off the throttle a little bit. It coasts and it uses less fuel. It's more efficient. So I'm more efficient today than I was 20 years ago, let's say. I prioritize things differently. My health is a massive priority compared to what it was. I mean, I abused my body in my 20s. I went a decade and a half with, on average, about three hours a night sleep. 
And I'm probably paying the price for that cognitively. You know, I see now like where the studies say, like, get sleep. So, you know, my advice today as a 52-year-old business person is way different than the advice I'd give as a 25 or 30-year-old business person. I'm more advocating of spirituality. I'm more advocating of sleep. I'm more advocating of time. Before, I mean, if you asked me, it was like, fucking patience is for lazy people. You know, people would say, stop to smell the roses. Fuck that. There'll be roses on my coffin when I'm dead. That kind of stuff. Like That's what I used to say. But I can see the difference now as I'm older and I have more experience and I'm, I'm more patient. I'm more calm. I'm more relaxed. I'm more trusting. I'm more trusting that whatever I need is in within, within me at this point. I mean, I can do whatever is needed. I got it. I got it handled. Just because experience has told me that I can come back from the lowest of low places. I can think through my problems. Uh, I have a group of friends and mentors that I've put in place to protect me from me. You know, I have two groups, each have six people in them. Uh, I meet with one group every six weeks and the other group every four weeks. and. I almost don't make any major business decisions without passing my thinking past them. I don't go to them looking for answers. I do the thinking first. Then I go to them with my thinking and look for them to help see, help me see the blind spots that I have currently around the thoughts or the opportunity. So I've just put those things in place. So I can, you know, I think what Kim meant by that is that, you know, once you've put in the repetitions, you can now start to go, okay, we're going to let it happen, not make it happen. Interesting. I hope that's not too, not too long-winded for an answer for your question. No, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do you have any comments? This is just a comment, and I want your thoughts, between being the hardest working, because you can be the hardest working janitor, but not go anywhere. Being the hardest working, but also like the the thought. What's where's your head at on on that line? If, if you're to have um, been the hardest worker, but the smartest person, where on that line would you feel is the most important? I think there's value in hard work. From the perspective of if everything was equal, and you had two people that had the same level of intelligence the same acumen, the same experience, the same skills and tools, and you add the component of hard work, the person with the hard work will succeed more often than the person that is not willing to work hard. But hard work is not a substitute for smart work. It's not a substitute for honing your craft. It's not a substitute for putting practice with the intent to progress versus just practice. It's not a substitute for thinking, especially in business. I mean, business is an analytical sport. The competition is firing live rounds. You live or you die in business. 
Your business lives or dies. Not you don't personally live or die. Your business lives or dies. And the competition can take you out. The environment can take you out. A change in environment. People are going to learn this. We're going to see this over the course of the next year. The environment is going to take out a lot of businesses. There's going to be a lot of influence out there. And people who are working and relying on their hard work, they're not going to make it because they're not assessing, they're not reassessing, they're not analyzing, they're not thinking. I mean, four to five days of my week, 20 minutes minimum, 20 to 30 minutes of five days a week, I just will sit with one question and think. This is a great tool I learned from my mentor, Keith Cunningham. It's called Think Time. Sit with a piece of paper and a pen, use an iPad, but you really like, you need to have something in your hand. You put the pen on a piece of paper and for 20 to 30 minutes, that pen never comes off the paper, no matter what. The purpose of leaving it on the paper is because it will force you to continue to write and just standing there with your finger pressed on a piece of paper, not moving kind of gives you like this, like, okay, this, this is not right. I shouldn't be doing this. And so I have like this anxiety of going, okay, I need to keep flowing with my thoughts. And it doesn't matter what the thoughts are. The think time could go off into like never, never land. I mean, it could be pie in the sky, you know, thinking. The exercise of continually thinking and using your brain about solving one problem, not 10 problems, one question for 20 minutes straight. It is an unbelievable tool. I challenge anybody to do it. It has been so fantastic for me uh, to be able to, to, to just spend that 20 minutes on a problem. When you start doing it, it seems extremely weird, but you know, after a period of time, you'll, you'll thank me for it. Go like, try it. You'll thank me for it later. And you shouldn't be thanking me. You should be thanking Keith Cunningham. And what's an example of a problem from our <laughs> I mean, it could be any question. It could be a question you asked earlier. This is like, um, what would you, you talked about processes. You know, if there was, if there was one process that I could implement in my business that would make a 2x difference in our performance, what would that be? And you sit and think on that for 20 minutes and you'll be shocked. Then do not let that pen come off the paper. You'll be shocked at what you come up with. And then afterwards, you go through and you circle the main key ideas. Take those key ideas, put them on a piece of paper. From them, you could maybe transform another question that might help you refine your thinking. And you, I mean, you could almost think about the same topic for an entire week if you use this continual process to just kind of get it so narrowly focused and, and pinpointed. Clarity is king. You know, people always use the other C word, cash. And, and cash is super important. But those kinds of resources are avail available anywhere. But clarity, clarity is trained. I mean, you have to acquire that through a heap ton of thinking. Interesting. And clarity. So you mentioned you go to the gym or you do your, your stuff in the morning. But that's when you're so fresh and the most fresh. Why do you find that works best for your lifestyle? I mean, that's a personal preference. Um, some people are more fresh in the evening. Uh, I think Kim mentioned in her podcast, and if it's not in this one, we, we interviewed her just recently for a second podcast. 
and hers hers is kind of at night. I know with my time with Tony Robbins, Tony Robbins is like his his best time is evening. Um, so that varies depending on the person. For me, I like to get up. I like to energize my body. A lot is done through. I'm a very kinesthetic person, uh, so so a lot is is done through my body. I get an immense amount of certainty. I get an immense amount of focus. I don't often listen to podcasts while I'm working out, but I will uh, review like quotes and I'll listen to some. Like I have a pretty refined on my personal Instagram. I have a pretty refined feed that comes into me. That is, you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah, stuff. It's very focused business kind of things, and so I'll I'll rip through some of those. I'll listen to powerful music. I have powerful visualization techniques when I'm working out. It's a way for me to connect with my certainty, way for me to connect with my um, my body, and so I I've you know perfected a, a process, and it's almost it's almost like meditating, which I do meditate in the morning too. I do that about four days a week after my workout but working out is as much of meditation for me as as meditating you know just sitting and meditating so so for me it's the you know the and i start my day jumping in a 45 degree cold plunge uh every morning Uh, my wife and i do it together and you know to get my mind straight dunking your head in 45 degree weather water for five minutes a day it'll get your head straight pretty quick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not to mention the health benefits, but it's just psychologically, it's like, you know, there's never a day where I'm like, oh, geez, this is amazing. I get to go jump in a 45 degree tub, but it does get, it gets your head straight. It gets you committed. And so, I mean, every, every morning I wake up, I'm committed to my day in a big way. So for me, that, for me, that's what I've gotten out of it. It started when I was in my, you know, late teens or early twenties, you know, to look good and get chicks, but that's not what it's done. That's not what I do now. That's not why I do it now. Good. Good. Uh, who's running this podcast anyways? Sounds like you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank, thank you for coming on my show, Dwayne. I'm going to, I'm going to get replaced here. <laughs> I love it. It's great. So I guess, let me ask you some questions. What are the one or two things that you feel you need to do in order to get your business to where it needs to be in the next year or two years? Yeah, keep continue to delegate, find the best people, build the best team. And with that, obviously systems are important in whatever you do. Um, yeah, building, building the proper team in place. That's the, the priority right now. So if I could just push a little bit on that, what is it that you need to do as a leader? Not necessarily what your company has to execute on or what you have to execute on, but where would your mind shift? or psychological kind of shift need to occur in order to get where you need to get to. And by psychological shift, what do you mean? Like day-to-day task (laughs) shifting or uh, mindset shifting? Yeah, mindset mindset shifting. Like where does your thinking have to change? Where could you improve? What would you like to see get better? Yeah, I think of like thinking what needs to change is more ahead, focusing on the following year or two-year projects and looking further ahead opposed to just the next month and have all those smaller um, tasks not even being part of my my process, that would be the next step of thinking further ahead and with planning, uh, between planning sales being much further ahead with yeah sales and operations further ahead. 
like out of curiosity then what what's your book of business look like for the next six months in terms of total revenue that you think you have booked so it's it's tough we're doing snow removal the next many months right so it's kind of there's no snow on the ground we're able to do patios and retaining walls and driveway installs but if we get three feet of snow that doesn't happen uh, so it's hard to to guesstimate on that do you have, do you have book work booked into the spring yeah our spring's pretty much full in terms of hardscape construction um and then we have we move all those jobs like last year, January, we we're able to do patios. There wasn't any snow. Um, so we'll move our spring schedule to January, December, if, if we're able to. If you're full for the spring, could you add on two more crews and, and increase the size of your business for the spring? Or could you take on more? Slowly, but not this season, no. Uh, we've recently added a few more trucks um, and more guys. So we're doing that now in preparation for the spring. Spring, we plan to have four full-time crews out and about doing their thing. So not not yet. I try to refrain from advice, but so I'll speak in my experience um, as a young entrepreneur. And, you know, at this stage, you're looking, sounds like you're going to forgo your university kind of educate, formal education, which, I, you know, I'm a college dropout. Obviously, no judgment from my end because I dropped out. I'd be curious, in my experience, the one thing that I did learn was there's a universal language to business, and the universal language is called accounting. I had wished it was called, like, going out to the bar and drinking, or <laughs> um, hanging out with friends, or chocolate. could have been anything, but it's not. It's accounting. Um, and I, I would say that, you know, there was a deep shift in the way I analyzed my business when I furthered my education in accounting might be something that you may want to look at just since, you know, like there's your private courses that you can take at university level to understand, you know, the, the, the balance sheet, the, 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 the profit and loss statement and the cash flow statement, but really spending some time understanding how to, extract the appropriate information out of those financial statements in order for you to help make better management decisions. You know, the purpose of understanding that, uh, you know, most people who look at most business people who look at their financial statements, they either have one drink to celebrate or two drinks to, to cry into. And so the most small business people don't understand financial statements. It, it, it's to me critical for a business entrepreneur to understand the language of business, which which is accounting. And how were you able to hone in your accounting skills and be able to better understand those statements? Yeah, so I took a. Uh, I personally took a. Um, I don't know what the course would have been like. A, it would have been a a degree course. I went to, it was at York university and I took a, like a, an advanced course on financial statements and accounting at York university. And one of those like after kind of hours or adult school type environments these years ago, can't remember, but it would, it was uh, one of the better things that I decided to do. And I studied under a, a, this, my mentor, Keith Cunningham, who, who, you know, teaches this stuff or used to teach this. I think he's retired from teaching now. 
you know, he took, he taught a course on understanding the financial statements. Also, he took, taught a course on how to buy a business. And it, I mean, if you can do it online, I highly recommend any young entrepreneur to check out Keith Cunningham. He's really like he is. He's probably one of the smartest business guys I've met on the planet. I met him through Tony Robbins and, and he's just phenomenal. He's unbelievably smart, great, great gentleman and has some fantastic content. He, and he runs an organization called Keys to the Vault. Um, so his name's Keith Cunningham, Keys to the Vault. Highly recommend that as a learning, uh, learning platform for young entrepreneurs. And what had he done prior to that? Oh, he, he's owned like gajillion companies and he owned a cable company that he sold for like a 1.8 billion or something like that. Like he's a real business guy. He's a business guy that's actually, you know, went and decided in his later years just to do some teaching and, but he's not a, he's not the typical consultant that could make it in business and decided to, 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 to coach business, but he, he's the real deal. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, Charlie, the great conversation. I'm super glad you came on. I'm really interested to see how you do. You know, I'm expecting a text in a year or an email to tell me that you 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 nailed 1.5 or 1.6 million in revenue. I'm always here available. I mean, you know how to reach me. You've got my cell phone, obviously, but but for anybody else who's who's listening, whoever wants to reach out to me and have questions, I'm available. Um, you can reach to, out to me on any of my platforms. Uh, through the podcast and, and, um, you know, I'm happy to support young entrepreneurs, especially I just love young entrepreneurs that, that are doing what you're doing. You know, Charlie, I don't want to, you know, blow smoke at you. And, 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 and I think you should take this, what I'm about to say very seriously. And, and I think you should also discard it very quickly and continue moving forward as aggressively as you have, but you're not unique. There's not a lot of people like you that are doing what you're doing at your age, and that should not be lost on you. I found in the past that some of the hardest things, like entrepreneurs can be harder on themselves uh, than the people around them. And so there's an area there that, you know, I don't know if you do that, but, but it's an area to be careful of. This is a very lonely sport. I think you're doing a great job at, you know, finding mentors and having conversations and sit down and have coffees with guys. I think that is awesome stuff. Um, I'm super grateful for Mark Bradley to have given you this opportunity uh, to be involved in his organization and his mentorship program or mastermind program. I think he called it, I, I mean, I can't say enough about Mark Bradley and, and how smart that man is. You know, keep doing the things you're doing. Keep working hard. Give yourself some time. Give yourself some grace. Remember that, you know, there are abnormal problems and normal problems in business. And from having this conversation, you are having a lot of normal problems. Absolutely, they need to be solved. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's no question that, you know, where we are and where we want to be and the difference between the two is, is the problem that needs to be solved. But think time and spending real think time on those problems and discovering whether or not the, the problem that is or the problem that isn't, you know, is this a symptom or is it a problem? Fixing your profit may look like the problem, but it might not be the problem. And we, you know, it could be lack of resources. It could be lack of sales. It could be 
uh, lack of retaining customers. It could be a whole bunch of things that lead us to think that profitability is the problem. I'm just using one, you know, kind of gross example of, of the of the problem versus symptom thing. You've got a lot of things and going for you. And you you have really developed a successful business. It's inspiring to me. It is exactly the reason why I started this podcast is to be able to have the opportunity to talk to guys like you. It's going to be interesting to see where you are in the next 10 or 20 years. Well, thank you. And I know I'm just a small fry to compare what, what the guests you have on this show. So I appreciate you letting me pick your brain. And, and it's been an awesome learning from you, Dwayne. Yeah, well, I appreciate you. And you know, for all the people that are listening, uh, I think you're a great example of a a lot of them are in this, you know, they could be 45 years old and be in the same spot you are in their business. Or they could have kids that are kind of doing their thing and you'd be like a really inspirational guy for, you know, for any young person, student, you know, trying to figure out. I talk to a lot of students and especially kids in university and they're like, well, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Like, I don't know what else to do, but I thought I better get an education. I really like to start my own business and, and, you know, I think you could be a real inspiration to, you know, young people that are, you know, facing this exact kind of dilemma, you know, where they're losing faith in, in the current environment and, and are looking to, you know, answer their own, you know, concerns or their own hesitations or their own uncertainty with potentially starting their own business. And, and you're living proof that, if you focus, you work hard, and you're committed to an outcome and committed to the process, as you said in the beginning, and you have a little bit of fuel, you know, you could go out and do it. And so there's a statistic out there right now that 50% of the kids in high school will work in an industry that's not yet been invented, uh, which is a staggering thought process. It's so staggering. Like, it's hard for me to even get my head wrapped around it. You know, I've been in a lot of industries. I know how, how things change, the environment changes, but to think that, that half the kids in high school today are going to work in an industry that's not even been invented, that's not a company, that's an industry. You know, the opportunity out there right now, and it can be done so efficiently and so effectively, and there's disruption out there. Uh, the, the potential for kids to, to, and youth to be able to go out there and start their own thing, they just have to have, you know, A, an example of somebody who's done it, and be, you know, a compelling reason that's going to drive them through the tough times to to continue on. So, I'm I'm very grateful that you you were able to get on the show today and and uh, to have this conversation. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Dwayne. And, and th and thanks for interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, brother. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll have updates on on your success for sure. Okay. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you being with us. If you found value in the show and know a friend or a coworker who could benefit from the conversation, please share the link via text or on social media. Remember, each share creates a ripple effect of knowledge and inspiration. We'll see you next week. The views, information, or opinions expressed by guests during the Business of Doing Business podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Dwayne Kerrigan and his affiliates. Dwayne Kerrigan, or the Business of Doing Business podcast, is not responsible for and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series. 
The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. Listeners are advised to consult with a qualified professional or specialist before making any decisions based on the content of this podcast.